As a church, we're involved in multiplication, which means we are very much aggressive when it comes to church planting. We want to see churches planted here in Canada and also around the world because we believe the way you reach people uh, with the gospel is through planting healthy local churches. So this being our vision, and we've had this vision for a number of years now, um, I would say a couple of years ago, I traveled to one of our target regions um, where we are planting churches overseas. And I went to encourage the pastors whom we are supporting and visit the churches that we've helped establish. And so I preached a sermon in one of these churches. It was just uh, located in an open field uh, that had been subdivided. And so they had a small little lot where they had put up a tent. They didn't have a building at the time. And so that's where we preached, no seats or anything like that. They just put up their tent and a mat on the ground. And uh, all the parishioners who had come to worship were seated on the floor on the mat. And I, as a preacher, had my pulpit and I had left my shoes there, so on my socks. And I'm preaching to this small group of believers who were just following along and just loving the fact that we could fellowship together. Now, this particular church, they had a microphone with huge loudspeakers, and they cranked up the, the, the volume so that the entire community would hear the gospel preached. Now, uh, obviously, the community was not too thrilled because many in the community where this little church was gathering, many in that community were not Christian. In fact, they believed in other gods and other religions. So the idea that you're coming to give this exclusive claims of Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven, uh, this message was not embraced very well in this particular community. So the, the villagers decided they did not want this church here. So they would bring all their garbage, they'd bring, they would clean out their stalls and bring all their animal dung and just dump it in the lot right next to the tent. Now, obviously, the church could not remove it because that's not their lot. That's not their property. Their property is here, but the dung is right here. Now, you can imagine the stench and the uh, flies that were all over the place. So this is part of the persecution that this church experienced and endured. The, the, the community shunned them. So after I had preached this message, um, at the end, there were people coming for prayer. And I remember there was this family that came forward a mom and her two daughters. And one of the daughters was just distraught and crying. Why was she crying? Because prior to coming to Saving Faith, life was good. She was a normal kid running around, playing, being loved by her family, extended family, grandpa, grandma, love her. The moment they said yes to Jesus, her life changed just like that. Why? She would come to church and see how the villagers were treating Christians and the persecution and the hate that they had to endure. And beyond that, the moment the extended family found out that this family had become Christian, they were ostracized, they were shunned, they were kicked out. In fact, her grandfather, and this is the reason why she was crying, her grandfather had told her that she was as good as dead to him. He wanted nothing to do with the family completely, nothing. And she loved him dearly and wanted to have a relationship with grandpa, loved to go and visit his house. She was no longer allowed. She was banished and her heart was breaking because she was a Christian. So I was looking at this poor little girl who comes to church and this is the circumstances that she has to endure. The shunning, 
that she has to she had to experience the being ostracized by those who she loves who want nothing to do with her because of her faith i looked at her and i wondered how do i comfort and encourage this little girl and of course her sister was there and her mom with tears in her eyes was there as well what do you say what do you say to believers who are now abandoned by family and they only have other believers now as their family what do you say you see the apostle paul wrote the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to encourage and comfort Christians like these family like these two ladies these two girls and their mom or the believers in this particular village the apostle paul wrote this letter to comfort those who are experiencing persecution struggling because they have embraced Christ Jesus but Paul is not just talking about um talking to these troubled Christians reminding them that Christ will return and and bring his justice and make all things new that's not the only thing he's addressing when he's writing to the Thessalonians here there's also an issue that's happening within the church in this particular city that Paul is addressing why Christians are now beginning to panic there's a lot of panic going on there's a lot of fear people are abandoning their normal responsibilities and Paul is writing to them saying hey guys do not be troubled do not be deceived either don't stop believing the gospel and those will be our three handles as we work our way through this text of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 to 12 do not be troubled do not stop um do not be troubled do not be deceived and do not stop believing those are the three handles that will be working our way through so what's going on here why are these christians all freaking out why are they afraid why are they panicking what's happening here well let's find out do not be troubled is our first point here you will need a bible and you'll want to open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 Now obviously we all know that we are still in this covid pandemic right and uh the pandemic has brought with it a lot of challenges and struggles to people many have lost their jobs many have lost their income uh a lot of people have lost their investments many have taken a huge hit financially because of this even relationally there are those who lost their loved ones but could not even attend the memorial service why because of the restrictions regarding the number of people in that particular gathering when they are mourning the loss of a loved one the pandemic has brought significant difficulties and challenges has unsettled many people now in the midst of this uh, challenges and struggles that we are trying to work our way through within the christian church unfortunately i will say There are those who are now teaching all sorts of things about COVID and the vaccine and the antichrist and the end times and so on and so forth. A ton of teaching is going on right now. And and all that is being said on social media and even on YouTube and different preachers preaching, all that is being said is now unsettling the faith of many in churches today. and to and and i think in our day it is so appropriate what paul is about to say to us 
here in this particular passage. You see, in the, Thessalon um, in, in, um, the Thessalonian church, what was taking place there is Christians were under persecution. Tribulations were coming, wave after wave after wave, and they're enduring this persecution. Now, in the midst of their suffering, there were some prophecies that were circulating. And these prophecies were suggesting that the second coming of Christ had already taken place. So in other words, they might have been left behind. Oh dear, oh dear. If the resurrection had taken place, the resurrection of the dead when Christ comes back had already taken place, if Christ's second coming had already taken place, then what hope is there for them as Christians? Their faith would be done and hence, their mixed emotion, the panic and the fear and abandoning their normal responsibilities. Many of them stopped going to work now. Some of them were lazy, as chapter 3 will unpack for us. All because of all this false teaching that is happening in their midst. And so Paul comes in, and in chapter 2, this is what he says. We'll read chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Of 2 Thessalonians, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So at issue here is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and when he comes, how the believers would be gathered together. Those are things that are happening at the second coming. So Paul is saying, do not be troubled. See, Paul is addressing the second coming of Christ, the same second coming that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, verse 29 to 30. And many scholars believe that what Paul is writing in 2 Thessalonians is an echo of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. So how does Jesus talk about his second coming in Matthew 24? And we'll go to the tail end of the passage, verse 29 to 31. Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of, of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. So this is Jesus' description of what will happen when he's talking about this after the tribulation, how the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. What is he talking about? This is cosmic language to describe just the turbulent um, nature of the, the, um, the political scene or the financial scene. Things are not going to be smooth. Huge people, political leaders will fall maybe. And the financial markets will look crazy. And there'll be all this crazy news happening. Things will not look great. 
And then the sign of the Son of Man, the sign of Christ and his second coming will appear. In other words, if Christ is coming, my goodness, you will not miss this event. It's not going to be an event that you are just living your life and, oh, you missed it. You were told, oh, did you know this happened? Did you know that happened? I ran into a friend of mine in the store the other day, and uh, as we were talking, this friend did not realize that there is this mask, new mask mandate that has been uh, placed on all of BC. They had no idea. They were just going through living life and not listening, not paying uh, attention to the news, and then wanted to go to the store and realize, oh, dear, we got to wear masks now. When did this happen? When was the announcement made? See, the sign of the coming of, of Christ is not going to be an event that will just happen um, out there and people will miss it. No, it will be evident. You will not miss it. But when he comes, you will notice Jesus says he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds. So people of God will be gathered together. Paul talks about this gathering of believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. This is what Paul says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So let me give you an image regarding what, how, what, what Paul is actually uh, unpacking here. So growing up in Africa, my dad would go away on trips multiple times. So he'll go for a week, sometimes two weeks. He'd be gone, we'd be home. My, my two brothers and I and my mom would be home. Maybe a cousin of ours would be staying with us as well at the time. So my, my brothers and I would be playing and we'd be expecting dad back those days. We didn't have cell phones. We, didn't, we couldn't just text him and ask when, when you're coming. He would come when he's come. Uh, he'll return when he returns. Anyway, so we would be playing, my brothers and I, and things like that, uh, outside, and then we'd look up, and we would see Dad coming from a distance, we'd see, that's Dad. Guess what my brothers and I will do? We will leave our toys, we will leave our soccer ball, we will leave everything we're doing, we will stop immediately. Everything we're doing will stop immediately, and we begin to run. We'll race, even, to go and meet Dad. Why? He's coming Home. So once we run, we grab his hand, and then we begin walking back home with him. This is the image that Paul is giving us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about when Christ comes, when he's revealed and he's coming, the dead in Christ will be raised up. And then they'll go, the excitement, they're seeing the Lord come, they will go to meet him. And we who are alive will go up and meet him as well. And then we'll usher him back. We'll come back with him. This is the joy and the excitement. So Paul is saying, hey, look here, guys. When we're talking about the second coming of Christ, you will not miss that event. And secondly, those who are called in Christ, who are gathered together by the angels from the four winds, from all the corners of the earth, who are gathered together, man, we are going to see Christ and we are all going to meet him. Do not believe what you're being told. This is what Paul is basically saying. 
this false teaching that was circulating was circulating by a spirit. Paul said, you do not be quickened in mind or alarmed by a spirit or a spoken word or a forged letter. So in other words, there were those in those days who would now come and say, you know, God told me. God told me. They'll be prophesying. God told me this or God told me that. You know, in our day, we have people who say that, don't we? On TV. Or you could find their teaching on, on YouTube. The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord says. God told me when I was dreaming or God told me when I was doing this and that. This is what God told me. And they will use the God told me. And then they will now begin to unpack whatever it is that they're unpacking, which is not true. Regarding the second coming of Christ or regarding this is, this is what the end times will look like and these things will happen this way and this way and they're reading the biblical text and they're twisting the truth to suit their own needs. It's not true. God told me they will say. God told me they will say. Or a spoken word. What is a spoken word? Preaching, sermons. So there are many sermons. Back in the day when we were doing tape series, many sermons and the tapes would be going around and around and around. Among so many Christians, I'll listen to one, I'll give it to Mark, and Mark will give it to Jonathan, Jonathan will give it to, 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 um, to whoever. And go on and on and begin to make all these rounds, all these rounds of this false teaching happening. See, in the ancient world, there were itinerant preachers, false teachers who would come and be preaching all these false things. And unsettling Christians, or there were forged letters that were written, and some would write letters and, and pretend that this is the Apostle Paul writing, and then they would put their own fake news, false doctrine, in these letters and send them out to churches. In our day-to-day, we have those in books. So you go to bookstores, Christian bookstores, and you see the books and you say, oh, it has a nice catchy headline. No, the end times or whatever. Prepare yourself. The, 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 the end is coming. The apocalypse are huge words. And you think, man, let me buy this book because this person is making a persuasive argument, which is not true. Not true. Find articles and blogs of the same What Paul is saying here, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Do not be troubled. The second thing he will say, do not be deceived. Verse 3 to 10, chapter 2. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless... The rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So in other words, Paul had had a conversation about them. We don't know what, what he said because we don't have the content But man, he talked to them about this stuff. Verse 6, and you know 
What is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. Now, this is probably one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, and there is a lot of debate regarding what does Paul mean here. Now, we don't have time to get into the nitty-gritty of this argument and this argument, and this is what the arguments are and how they, 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 they challenge one another and so on and so forth. That will take an entire sermon series. So today we're just going to go like a 50,000-foot view of what Paul is actually trying to say here. So what is he saying? The second coming of Christ will be preceded by two events. Two events must happen before Christ comes back a second time. The first is a rebellion, and the second is the revelation or the revealing of this man of lawlessness. So let's talk about the, re- uh, the rebellion first. This word rebellion can be, uh, also means apostasy, or it means a falling away from the faith. So it's apostasy, a falling away from the faith. People are now saying they don't want to believe the things of God anymore. They want to believe other things. They want to walk away from the faith. Now, throughout church history, we've seen this ebbing and flowing of, of people. You have this huge crusade, you have this huge meeting, and you invite your neighbor to come, and this itinerant preacher comes, and he preaches a good message. Your neighbor says yes to Jesus. Or people come to saving faith, they come down to the altar, and they give their lives to Jesus. Then count three months, two months, six months, a couple of years even maybe, and you would think, oh, man, the churches will be full, and this revival would continue. No, it didn't. Revival didn't continue, and people fall away, and this ebb and flow happens. I'll give you an example. So growing up in Kenya, there was a German evangelist called Reinhard Bonke. Bonke has long since passed, and um, he's now home with the Lord. Uh, He died in about, uh, I think it was 2019, I believe, is when he passed away. So Reinhard Bonke is huge. He was huge in Africa, in Nigeria, huge in Kenya, huge. So he had this, uh, when I was growing up, second year of high school, around about then, he had this huge crusade in Nairobi, the capital. Downtown, huge, like city park, like a huge um, place where the president would hold huge events and you have thousands of people show up, that's where. So he would come and he, he, he came the first time, he came a, came a couple of times. So the first time he was there, a uh, huge crusade and people came to Saving Faith. A ton of people turned their hearts around. And then Bonke said, I'll come back again to Kenya. So he's uh, returned the second time. Prior to his arrival, my goodness, there was huge publicity, huge promotion. People are saying, you need to come, you need to come, save the date, save the date. So Reinhardt comes, this evangelist, and the entire nation 
just went crazy. Crazy not like uh, in a negative way. My goodness, they, everybody could not get enough of the gospel. In fact, the TVs, the television stations back in the day, we only had two channels. They stopped their regular broadcasts just so that they could live broadcast this man's crusade. And not because this man paid them, no. Because it was just a huge wave. Hundreds of thousands of people watched this man, if not millions, the entire nation. Even in pubs, they would be playing Bonke's Crusade as people are drinking. So church leaders, Christians across the nation thought, man, revival has finally come to Kenya. What we've been praying for, man, the Lord has answered. The Lord has answered our prayers. Hmm. Two months later. I mean, churches were full, churches were full. Bonke leaves, churches are still full. Two months later, yeah, the same 50 people who showed up, yeah, it'll be the same people who show up. Maybe a couple new ones. But those who had come to the altar to receive Jesus, uh, many were beginning to fall away. And the corruption that was part of the nation, yeah, people thought, you know, now that people are coming to saving faith, that will also change people's practices in business and their lifestyles in the home and husbands and wives will live well together and the kids will be well behaved. Nope. There's this ebbing and flowing in 9-11 in the United States when, when um, the world was just stunned as the Twin Towers were coming down and planes were flying into other buildings across the United States. It was crazy and people were so concerned. Many Americans flooded the church. And then after a few months, they stopped going. This ebb and flow this rebellion, this walking away, this falling away has been happening throughout history. So what makes this particular rebellion unique or different from all others? This rebellion that Paul is talking about here, this falling away, what makes it so different? Now hear the words of Jesus as he's describing again what will happen prior to his second coming. This is again Matthew 24, verse 4 to 12. Jesus says this, Speaking to his disciples, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed. For these must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to, tri uh, to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, Jesus says. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false teachers will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow. What is lawlessness here? Basically, a, an abandoning of the truth of the gospel, loving the wrong things too much. And because of their commitment to the wrong things, their love for the things of God will grow 
cold. Again, as I mentioned earlier, scholars believe that Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians echoed the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. And the apostasy Jesus is talking about then is epic. This apostasy that Paul is talking about here, same one, epic. It's, it's huge. And many will fall away. There'll be significant persecution. Followers of Jesus will be hated by all nations, which could suggest then that the Great Commission has already taken place because Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. Go make disciples of all nations. Now, all nations are hating you. This means the Great Commission is now complete. Many will fall away and betray one another and even hate one another. False prophets will lead many astray and the love of many will grow cold. Let's pause the sermon and let me ask this question. Has your love for the things of the Lord grown cold? Do you love the truth of the gospel? Or... Do you love the wrong things too much? When was the last time you read this book and enjoyed it and severed the truths that are written in this book? You see, the rebellion that Paul is talking about here is the heart-loving sin so much the rebellion Jesus is talking about here. Your heart loving sin so much to the extent that your heart grows cold toward the things of God. That's the rebellion. What about the man of lawlessness who will precede, precede the second coming of the Lord, this man has to be revealed. Now, Paul will give us um, a few descriptions of who this, per- like, uh, who this person is or what he's about would be uh, better said here. Gives us a brief um, just description of what this person is about. First, he's a human being. So this person is not an angel, not a demon, not Satan. He's a human being, this man of lawlessness. Second, he was born for destruction, meaning That was the purpose and the goal of his life. He's the son of destruction. He will come and twist and turn things against God. But then God eventually will destroy him. Next, he will exalt himself above all faith movements. He will declare himself God and he will perform signs and wonders with great power. He will perform signs and wonders. Let me just pause there. There are many in the Christian family who think, hey, you know what? If that particular person performs a sign and a wonder, so for example, Pastor Mark, you know, let's say Mark is, can, can perform signs and wonders. Man, if Mark prays over this person and they get healed, or he does this little thing and it's a miraculous sign, a miraculous wonder, you would think, man, he's a man of God, man of God, and people begin to follow him. And everything he says, people would think, yeah, it's true. And that's what many people do. Now listen to what Moses will say to the children of Israel. Moses' last words before Israel now crosses um, 
crosses over the Jordan River to go and take over the promised land. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. This is Moses speaking, and he says this, If a prophet or a dream of dream arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, it comes true. It's not a trick. It comes true. And if he says, let us go, bef- um, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. You will not listen to him. Don't follow him, is what Moses says. In other words, it is possible for someone to come along and actually do a miraculous sign and a wonder, can prophesy something and it'll come to pass. It is possible that someone would do that, and yet what they've just done is not of God. See, in Africa, there are many people who believe in witchcraft and voodoo, right? And even in North America, trust me, there are those who practice witchcraft. And those who swear by it, they don't just swear by it foolishly, thinking, hey, this is just trickery or things like that. Uh Uh-uh. Because sometimes... When the witch doctor, the wizard, is doing his little spells, things happen. Miraculous signs and wonders happen. They do. So just because you saw a miraculous sign or a wonder does not necessarily mean that God is behind it. See, it is the content of the message that comes out of the miracle worker that will tell you whether this is from God or this is not. So this man of lawlessness will perform all these signs and wonders with great power. He's a master of deception and he's a servant of Satan because Satan is behind his activity. He's a servant of Satan. So the question then is, okay, so who is he? You probably are saying, now, Ezra, great stuff, but now tell me, who is this person? Who is this person? Maybe it is the former president of the United States. Is he the Antichrist? Or maybe it is this person or the other person, and we begin to name names. See, throughout church history, there have been many Christians in various various points of uh, biblical history or church history where believers have wondered, is that the Antichrist? Is that the Antichrist? So, for example, in the early church, um, obviously, the known world there was under Roman rule. And so the Roman emperor, the Roman Caesar, he was basically the one ruling the entire. And so Caesar would offer dictates and really persecute a lot of Christians. Caesar himself would believe that he was a god or a son of a god. And so many Christians in first century Christianity would have said, you know what, maybe the Roman emperor is the Antichrist because he's believing himself to be God. He will not care about sitting in any temple. Why? Because he believes he's a God. And many people are following him and many people are paying allegiance to him. A little bit... um, in the Middle Ages, we would say, um, around the time of the Reformation. So Martin Luther was one of the individuals who triggered the Reformation to to take place. And Luther, as he was studying the biblical texts, um, 
found that, you know what? What the church has been telling people about conversion and salvation is not true. Because back in the day, the Roman Catholic Church was the church. And so what the priests would be telling people is, hey, in order for you to be a Christian, yes, you have to believe the gospel, but you also have to do this, this, that, and the other, including paying something called indulgences. And what indulgences were, it was a fee that you had to pay the church in order for the priest to bless you, and that will move you along. So let's say you're a wicked person, you die, you go to this place called purgatory, and when you're there, you're stuck there. So now, oh my goodness, how are you going to get from purgatory to heaven? You don't want to go to hell. So your family would now have to come to the priest and keep paying and keep paying, depending on how bad and wicked you are. And once they pay enough, you can now leave purgatory and go to heaven. Luther was like, ah, this is not true. This is not true. As he's reading the biblical text, particularly Romans chapter 1. And so he's like, I don't think this is true. So he begins to talk to the church and tells the, the, the church in the day, hey, we should stop misleading people when it comes to salvation. Telling them that salvation is dependent on what they do. No, salvation is dependent on what God has done for you. And all you do now is accept it by faith and repent your sins. But the church didn't listen. They did not listen. And so now Luther was like, why is the church intentionally, intentionally now subverting the gospel truth and leading people astray? Hmm. Who leads people astray? Satan does. Hmm. Could now this be the work of Satan? Hmm. Could it be that Satan now is in the church? And let's take it a step further. Could it be that the Pope now could be the Antichrist because he sits there and now when the Pope will sit sometimes um, on his throne, he would speak ex cathedra, meaning he would, whatever he declares from his throne would be equal to scripture. Huh. And Luther now begins to think, could this be the Antichrist? And now he reads 2 Thessalonians, these very texts that we are studying, and Luther is now coming to the conclusion, maybe Christ is about to come back again because right before my eyes, I'm seeing the Antichrist. Was it the Pope? No. Obviously, we are 500 years removed from the Reformation. Christ hasn't come back again. Because again, remember, when Christ comes back again, you will not miss this event. You will not miss it. It will, everybody will see who he is. And he will gather all the Christians. So has he come? No, he hasn't come yet. He's not here yet. So who is this man of lawlessness? Who is this anti-Christ? You would say, see, the scriptures do not tell us. They do not reveal who this person is. They just say, hey, prior to preceding the second coming, this guy will show up. But what the scriptures do say is this. This man of lawlessness is being restrained as we speak. He's being restrained. And yes, he will be let loose for a short period of time. But... Currently, he is being restrained. And Paul is now talking to these people saying, hey, this man of lawlessness is being restrained. So question, who is restraining him? Who is in control here? God is. God is the one who is in 
control. And yes, even though this mystery of lawlessness is already at work, as verse 7 will say, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, meaning Satan is busy working behind the scenes, undercover. We don't know what he's doing. God is still in control, restraining this son of destruction. Ain't that interesting? Oh, you should be comforted. Confident, not necessarily because God is restraining him, but confident, uh, comforted because God is in control of the situation. God is in control. Now, why do I say God is in control of this? Notice what happens to this man of lawlessness when Jesus shows up. You know, it kind of reminds me of this WWE wrestling, you know, where you have the first combatant coming and he's just showing how awesome he is, all these muscles and everything. He beats everybody and bullies everybody, jumps into the ring. He's the only last man standing. Everybody else is gone and he's now king. And then all of a sudden the music changes, the lights dim, and then this, this spotlight now goes to the entrance, and all of a sudden the true champion shows up. And this pretender in the center of the ring realizes, I'm done. You see, what happens to the man of lawlessness? Yes, he's revealed, he's let loose, he was restrained, and then he's released for a short period of time, and then Christ shows up. Why is he released for a, few, for a short period of time to demonstrate the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? When Christ comes back, what does he do? Notice verse 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill. How? With the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his second coming. With the breath of his mouth. In other words... The way Jesus created, the way God created the universe, you know, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be this, and it was. Let there be that, and it was, right? He said, let, he spoke it into existence. Yes, same way. When Jesus comes back, he will not even need to come close to the son of uh, destruction. He will not even need to come close and fence maybe the sword with this man of lawlessness. Now, what Jesus will do will look at him and speak him, speak destruction to him. Out of it, that's power. That right there is power, and it ought to comfort the Christian. That's why Paul is saying, do not be troubled. Don't, don't freak out. Why? Because the one whom we serve, my goodness, he has power unparalleled. The power of God is now restraining this man of lawlessness and the power of God will ultimately destroy this man of lawlessness and therefore don't stop believing the gospel. Don't stop believing. Look again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 to 12. Go back again to verse 9 and work our way to verse 12 here. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So here, Satan is at work, wickedly deceiving people, 
leading them to doubt God and to reject the gospel. And he continues to do that today, baiting them to find pleasure in unrighteousness. I'll give you an example. You've probably heard this before. So um, how Eskimos would kill a wolf. They would take a dagger and stick it in a cup of blood and put this cup in the freezer until the blood freezes around the dagger. And they'll remove it. They'll add more blood, stick the popsicle in, freeze it again. Add more blood, stick it in, freeze it again. And now the popsicle is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And once it's big enough, with the dagger right in the middle, they'll take this popsicle and put it right in the middle of the, uh, of the forest where they know the wolf will come. And the wolf will come and you'll see this popsicle of blood, it'll sniff it, and then it's like, oh, I gotta get this. And then it starts licking. Oh, it is licking, licking, licking. Now imagine while this wolf is feasting on this popsicle, you show up and you try to shoo it away because you know what's right in the middle. Will the wolf run away? The wolf is not gonna run away. If anything, it will challenge you. It will want to tear you apart. Why? You are interrupting its its moment of glory and joy. It's loving this popsicle, not knowing that there's a dag in the middle. It'll lick and lick and lick and lick and lick until it gets to the blade and it'll keep licking and licking and licking and bleeding, thinking that the blood it's tasting is the blood of the popsicle. No, it's its own blood. What will happen to the wolf? You see, it'll be like, for example, there's a story I heard where there's this guy who had a snake. It's a python, a boa, like a huge um, boa constrictor family, python snake, long snake. So he had it as a pet, and he would just let this thing slither around. It would be on the couch, it would come to the kitchen everywhere. At night when he's sleeping, the snake would come beside him on the bed, and he loved the snake. He'd pet it and kiss it and hold it and roll with it, like it was just having a good old time. And then a buddy of his who knew a lot about snakes came to visit. And so the buddy is asking, oh, so you have this snake? It's getting long, dude. Oh, yeah, I love this snake. I pet it. I do this. We go to the shower together like it's really a fun snake. Oh, really? And then the guy says, I even go to, when I go to bed at night, this snake comes beside me. And the visitor was like, his eyes were like marbles here. What? The snake comes to your bed beside you? Oh, yeah, and we sleep together. I just pet it. I keep it warm because it's trying to get cold. And I mean, it gets cold, so I'm trying to keep it warm. The guy said, dude, the snake is sizing you up. The reason it comes beside you in bed is to see, is it big enough to take you on because you are dinner? It is licking its lips. See, this is how Satan baits people. When you think what you're doing is really awesome, you don't know that he's sizing you up. You're licking this popsicle of sin. You don't know a dagger is right in the middle. Dagger is right in the middle. See, I have a friend of mine who walked away from the faith. He walked away from the faith because he, he grew up in church, but he thought that God was stifling him and Christianity was just holding him back. And he wanted to, to move forward and live his life and, and have all these friends and go to parties and do all these crazy things that young people do. Do drugs the whole nine yards. And then in the middle there, he lost a few um, close relatives, loved ones who passed away. And he got all mad. If God truly loves me, why did he allow that to happen? He walked away, refused to love the truth of the gospel because this popsicle was so sweet. Another friend of mine got disillusioned, 
wanted to follow Jesus, wanted to love Jesus, but everything he tried in his life, doors would be shut. He would try this initiative, it wouldn't move forward. Things were always difficult for him. Always hitting, hitting the wall, hitting the wall, constantly hitting the wall for him. And he got all mad and, and, and upset. Why is God not giving me a break? Why is God not allowing me to, to move forward? And he decides to walk away from faith and abandon God because obviously God doesn't care for me enough. And he began to lick his popsicle to numb his pain and to find some peace and joy in the midst. And yet the scriptures will teach in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it's been granted to you not only to believe the gospel, but to also suffer for his sake. In other words, when you become a Christian, you get both faith and you believe and also suffering. They come both. That's why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. This is our lot as Christians. You will be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but you still keep going. You don't, lick the lip, the, you, you don't grab the popsicle. You don't grab the popsicle. See, at the beginning of the sermon, I talked to us about this girl and her family who had come to saving faith and had been shunned, who go to church and there's a lot of persecution happening and shunning in the village where they live. And they continue to love the truth of the gospel in the midst of significant persecution. Why? Because they know the Lord Jesus Christ will come back and make all things new. Oh, dear Christian, I don't know where you're at today. You're probably afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. You're probably going through difficult challenges. And maybe you're thinking, hey, you know what? I am done with this thing. Let me walk away. See, the moment you do that, God is calling you and saying, don't lick the popsicle. Don't lick the popsicle. Let it go. There's a dagger in the middle. And if you keep saying no like the wolf and fighting and growling, then it's, oh, you really want it. Okay, have it. And there is the strong delusion coming making you think you're doing the right thing only for judgment to come because, because you chose not to believe the truth but found pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh, dear Christian, may I plead with you, do not stop believing. Hang in there. He is coming soon. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would take these few words May they, may they go deep in our hearts. Help us to believe. Help us to believe, Lord. May we not be troubled, Lord. May we not be deceived. Help us not to stop believing. Commend ourselves now to you in Jesus' name. Amen.